there is beauty out there to be appreciated. And what beautiful art does is raise our appreciation of life and of living by showing us and reminding us that that is there. Hello, all my beautiful creatives out there. Thank you for joining me on the Sage Arts Podcast. This is Sage. I've got this one last solo episode for the year for 2023 for my really kind of my first year of broadcasting. I did start last December in 2022, but a full year of 2023. Huzzah! (laughs) I did it. My goal when I did this was initially to do this for at least two years before I decide whether it's it's a good thing or a bad thing, really. And I have just so enjoyed it. So I am going to end this year on a subject matter, which when I first started writing this up a few months ago, seemed Eh, maybe this is too broad. Maybe this is not going to interest anyone. And then I kept running into things about the subject of beauty and what that means to us as human beings. And that, of course, got me thinking more and more about what that means to us as artists. And that's what I had started writing about a few months back. So that's what we're going to get into today. I am not going to spend a lot of time on the usual business stuff because I actually have to try to get this done between rainstorms. <laughs> We're in the middle of an atmospheric river out here in California. That's when just a whole bunch of water comes in off of the ocean and just usually drowns us. And we've had flooding and, and whatnot. Our our poor new yard is uh, was looking a bit more like a pond than a yard. But right now it's quiet. I do have a downspout from the gutter system right outside the podcast room, which never seemed like that would be a big deal. I live in California. It doesn't rain that much. And then all the beginning of last year that happened. So that was a little crazy. But right now, yes, between rainstorms, so we're not having the drumming in the gutter system outside. So if you need any of that usual business information I give towards the beginning of an episode, you can simply go to thesagearts.com to contact me, to donate if you want to donate, to find links to previous episodes, to find the links in the episodes if you click in on the episodes page and go into the links at the bottom there. You'll find everything on that page. Um, You also find most everything that I ever talk about in an episode in the show notes or description section of the podcast page, wherever you're listening to this podcast from. So let's kind of uh, just dive right in, I guess. Okay, we're first of all heading into the Christmas weekend coming up in just a couple of days. And the week after that, There's this weird week between Christmas and New Year's where a lot of us don't do the usual things that we would do because we're all kind of in a waiting pattern (laughs) between two really big holidays. Some people don't work. Some people in the house don't work because as artists, I feel like we always work. I don't know when there's a national holiday. (laughs) My husband has to tell me. But here we are in this weird week where Yes, either people are not working or we have visitors at the house or we're traveling and visiting other people. And it's just a time when we don't have our usual deadlines or meetings or any of those normal activities that we would have usually during the week because people are away and traveling and businesses aren't open or fully open or fully operating as usual. So yeah, artists, we don't keep normal hours, but the fact is the people around us may be home or free or we're visiting or whatever. So it can be kind of a weird week. And for many of us, it's kind of an open week for doing things other than what we usually do because other people aren't doing the things they usually do. So we're all kind of out of whack with that, right? 
For some of us, this means we get to spend time with family and friends. And for others, it means we may have a week where we have a possibility for catching up on work or trying new things or just playing around in the studio without the pressure of deadlines or worrying about sales. Well, maybe some of us always are worrying about sales, so maybe that doesn't go away. But perhaps this is a week of opportunity that you have maybe some relatively free time or opportunities to get out and about with the people that are visiting with you or that you're visiting. Now, you could use this time to catch up on the things that you are behind on or get ahead of the game with some of your studio projects if you're one of the ones who has free time during this week. And maybe that's what you really need to do. Or maybe you have guests or are visiting elsewhere and you feel like you need to give them all of your attention because these are people you don't get to see so often. And I absolutely agree that friends and family can really be a major focus this time of year, as it should be. But if you're unsure what to do with this time, be it free time or time you're spending with friends and family, may I suggest that you spend time observing the world around you. Being as busy or distracted as we usually are means our minds are constantly running and thinking of the next thing. And maybe our brains and our minds and our hearts and our souls don't really get a break that allows us to just be and just live in the moment. But whether you have free time or surrounded by loved ones, this odd week in between the holidays can be a great time to do things you don't normally manage to get out and do, like go for a hike or a drive in a place that's maybe a little distant from you, or go to a museum, or go explore a colorful or invigorating part of the area or town or city that you're in. These little adventures are things we could benefit from doing all the time, but if you're one of those people who find it hard to work that kind of thing into their weekly or monthly or whatever schedule, maybe at least this coming week, you can make that happen. And if you really enjoy it, maybe that will be a springboard for making that happen more often. So instead of falling into whatever usual routine you might have during that week or in the place that you're at, go see what kind of new things are out there for you to be inspired by. And since I know it helps to have a focus when you're out and trying to be inspired, I have an idea for you. While you're doing whatever it is that you end up doing this coming week, how about keeping the subject for today's podcast kind of in the front of your mind? Of course, if I intrigue you enough with this conversation, maybe that will automatically be the case. But we're talking about something today that's kind of obvious, at least it seems to be at first, like I said. And it's something you probably are already looking for when you're out and about, and that is instances of beauty. Now, it's not like anyone needs to be told to go look for something beautiful, and that's not what I'm suggesting you do. You're going to gravitate toward things that you find beautiful already. You're going to seek them out when you can, right? Well, as it turns out, we don't always seek out the kind of beauty that may be helpful for us as artists and as human beings, actually. But I'd like to start out with the whole idea of beauty and art. How are they related? Are they synonymous? Is all art supposed to be beautiful? I can quickly take care of a few of those questions um, right away. The answer is, One, no, beauty and art aren't synonymous. And no, not all art is supposed to be beautiful or about beauty. And no, it's not the goal of every artist to make beautiful art. Some people purposely make disturbing art or art where the aesthetic is secondary to the message, where beauty in its more commonly understood definition is neither the goal nor the actual outcome. However, if you broaden your idea about where beauty is actually found, 
There is beauty in so many aspects of art that has nothing to do with the visual appreciation. And yet we will find beauty, we'll recognize and react to viscerally and emotionally to something that we find beautiful, even if we're not thinking of it in those terms. And that's what I want to talk about today. All the aspects of art that have to do with beauty and why it is so important for us to recognize art's role in beautifying and improving the world. Yes, for us personally, of course, and also for our viewer or purchaser of the artwork. But honestly, it's also part of the collective improvement of the world in general. And I'll explain more about that in just a moment. But first, let's define what beauty actually is and why it's important for us as human beings. This is the interesting science part of this stuff, because, you know, I kind of like to get into the science sometimes, because doesn't it seem weird that beauty is such a big part of our lives, something that so many of us focus on, but it doesn't seem like beauty is part of our survival skills or is necessary in any significant way, but an appreciation for and the constant desire to acquire beauty is literally everywhere in every culture in every area all over the globe. And if you bear with me, I will tie the reasons for that into its importance for us as artists and how it can really change the way you look at what you do, as well as what the goals are for your artwork. So why is beauty so ubiquitous and why is it so important? The whole idea of beauty and the fact that we spend so much time chasing it, looking for it, surrounding ourselves with it actually seems to, according to various scientific studies I was reading up on, it comes down to our recognition of things that give us what I want to say is a promise of a better life or a better world or a sense of greatness, even if it's just something that we are associated with by observation. So there's actually been a lot of studies done on beauty and how we use it, how it affects us, you know, what it is that draws us to things deemed beautiful. And the result has been that at least in our beauty assessment of other people, we are responding to health and well-being and safety and security. So a healthy-looking person with unmarred features and clear skin and a strong physique are aspects of idealized beauty. We also respond to symmetry, like a symmetrical face is considered the most beautiful compared to asymmetrical faces with very similar features. And isn't that weird as artists because we're often pushed to not create art that's symmetrical, even though we respond so strongly to symmetry. But it really doesn't come down to symmetry so much as it comes down to balance. And when you've got a face, which is the same size, just mirrored, right? Uh, symmetry is going to be important for that, to create balance, to have that balance that we are looking for. Because balance means things are in a good place, that they are likely to function well and serve us well. And so that's what we're responding to. Now, even though most of us do not have symmetrical and well-balanced faces or body shapes or whatever, and being imperfect is true for almost everyone on this planet, and yet people find us attractive. Other people, certain people, certain times of our lives, for certain reasons, find us attractive. So we do often find imperfect people beautiful or attractive anyways. And sometimes it's because we get to know them and find positive aspects of their personality or their lives that we then associate with them. And that adds to our perception of their attractiveness because maybe they have a good job and they have a good family and they're funny and all these things. 
that mean to us that they're a well-balanced person. And it also gives us a connection to them, things that we admire, things that we like to be around. And because those are things we like to be around, it equates to beauty for many of us. It equates to attractiveness. But let's get back to the idea that a vision of good health is often beautiful to us. Now, that makes sense in our survival aspects because good health means that the person we're admiring was probably going to live for a while and therefore has a greater chance of reproducing. Even if we aren't going to be reproducing with that attractive person, we appreciate their attractiveness because that kind of beauty is associated with well-being, not disease or weakness or lack of self-care. And in our evolutionary history, keeping people around us that are healthy and in good shape should contribute to the overall well-being of the group. Even when everyone in the group is not idealistically beautiful or even idealistically healthy or whatever, when we can find other things to appreciate in those people, and especially if they like us back, that engenders a sense of well-being in the connection we have in them, in the understanding we have of them. And in this way, we find beauty in people and things that may not be obviously beautiful on the surface. And hence, this is one of the reasons it helps if people can spend time with your work or with you, because people may not see the beauty of the work or you as an artist right away. But once they spent time with you or the work, once they've read about what you do or hear about it, the beauty comes out. The beauty shows itself. This is especially true if we find commonality with those people, if there are things that we will both like and appreciate. And that illustrates a connection to them and that connection makes us feel like they're one of us, like one of our group and one of our tribe, a person who will understand us that makes us feel safe. And since safety can also add to a sense of beauty, we are attracted to pieces of art and people who feel like they belong to our community. You know how when you've been gone for a while, especially on a long, arduous or work trip or whatnot, and you see home for the first time, whether it's the coastline of your city from a plane or a boat or the front of the house as you drive up, and you might say or just feel that this is the most beautiful thing you've seen in a long time because you're just so happy to be home. Well, that's because home represents safety and comfort and familiarity And all those things give us that same reaction as it does to beautiful things. The sight of those things that mean home to us is a promise of the comfort and safety that we crave. So we see beauty in objects and landscapes for similar reasons. Beautiful landscapes are usually those that are lush and vibrant and plentiful. And a lush and vibrant place means food, water, properly shelter, especially to our previous ancestors who wandered the land looking for such things because they weren't available at the local supermarket. (laughs) Now, that doesn't mean that a dry desert landscape or the ruins of an ancient city doesn't also have its own type of beauty. But why would we find these other kind of imperfect places that aren't lush and vibrant beautiful? They don't promise plenty. They don't promise comfort in the initial view of them. So why do we find them, or at least some of us, find them beautiful? Well, it's that connection again. Those places speak to some of us in a way that makes us feel connected to them, appreciative of what they are and what they represent. From the studies that I've been studying, it sounds like we see a promise of all that these places contain or did contain, even though they're not as obvious, those 
promises as the abundance in a lush landscape. Maybe it is the promise of story, especially in ruins or ghost towns, or maybe it's in the triumph of the survival of the plants and the wildlife in the desert, making us feel safer there because we know it's possible to survive. Or maybe we see reflections of ourselves in the sensuality of the shapes in the hills or the persistence we find in buildings that are still standing after hundreds of years. It's still a connection and a promise of something that we find valuable in some way. The beauty of objects is very much the same thing. You find beauty in objects that represent plenty or lusciousness or orderliness or something else that speaks to you that makes you feel connected to it. There was also a study I heard about that looked at why some people find beauty in things like mathematics or the moves of a football player. The words most often used in regards to either seem to be things like graceful or balanced. Again, orderliness, structure, symmetry can come into play in both of these subjects, but there's also a level of genius that comes into play. Now, most of us, you know, do associate genius with math because, you know, math is hard. (laughs) But this is also something that can be associated with things like sports. Because if you think about it, a really talented athlete is mentally agile as well as physically agile. And so we admire their high level skill in the actual action that we see. So because some of us appreciate and feel connected to or understand the skill, orderliness, grace, or high achievement that is inherent in accomplished examples of both math and sports, we can have that same visceral and emotional reaction that is more commonly associated with traditionally understood examples of visual beauty. And although the reasons for seeing things beautiful can be relatively complicated, I do think it all comes down to that thing I mentioned just a little bit earlier, that there is a promise. I think beauty, in whatever form gives us that reaction, promises us a connection to something elevated, something better, something that we can feel associated with, even if it's just as an observer. And so that embodies the idea of beauty for us. I think there is hope and beauty, and promise of something better everywhere. It does take us looking and observing and being open to that beauty, to that optimism and expectation of something better. So what you're really doing with art is giving people a way to explore potential beauty, shifting their point of view, literally changing the way they see parts of our world, our lives, and our existence. As I mentioned, not all art is literally made to be beautiful, but there is definitely a beauty in being able to share and show your passion, be it a passion for righting the wrongs of climate change or bringing awareness to poverty, which is actually the core of our climate change problems anyways, although for some reason the majority of the world is just looking at band-aids and not at the root cause, but you know, that's a <laughs> a whole other subject and soapbox I could get on, but this is not the place. So anyways, It is, however, one of my passions, bringing awareness to the bigger picture of climate change, and that's why my present projects are actually focused on local native environments as well as the acceptance of decay and change, which has always been central to my more serious work. I mean, I like to create things that look cracked or rusted or aged, which some people might not find beautiful, but I think change, including the change that destroys and returns materials to the earth, has a beauty and a history and story. So yes, I am one of those people that feels connected to ruins and abandoned buildings and lost and broken things found on the highway. I just know there's this whole rich history and other people's memories associated with those things 
And because of that, I find these things fascinatingly beautiful. Now, if you create to share a more common type of visual beauty, then yeah, that's just as important as any political, sociological, ecological, whatever message that anyone else might have in their art. Creating beautiful pieces is a way of showing people that the world is amazing, that there is so much to love and find joy in, that there's this abundance out there that is worth waking up for every day and going out and fighting our fights and carrying our burdens and and struggling through whatever we have to struggle through because there is beauty out there to be appreciated. And what beautiful art does is raise our appreciation of life and of living by showing us and reminding us that that is there. Whether the beauty is obvious in your artwork or is more particular and deeply set, the message I'm trying to get across here is that art literally makes people's lives better in ways that may not seem as impactful as a, say, large influx of money or a dream job or pulling someone out of poverty or a violent situation or any of those things that seem hugely important or highly magnanimous. And they are. They are all those things. But if we all just focused on the big global monstrous things of the world and just tried to take care of those, we'd still be left with a lot of pain and problems. It's like fixing the structure of a house, but not taking care of the drafty windows or cleaning up the spilled food in the kitchen. All of these things, the structure and the windows and the cleanliness, all these things are necessary for a house to be safe and healthy. And what about all the little things that make a house a home, like furniture and drapes and photos on the walls and collectibles and and all the things that make it feel like ours? Who is going to help us build the home and not just the house, right? And that's what we as artists are often doing. We are helping make people feel connected to the place that they live, making people feel and see the beauty in the world that is directly around them. And so it's small stuff, maybe it seems like, but it's not small in the collective picture. Now, why I bring this up is because if you sometimes get into an existential slump, wondering why you're doing what you're doing and what it does for you or for other people, the answer. I think, always is that you're adding beauty to the world, making this world, this life better for yourself and for others. When we have the opportunity to do that, and there are a lot of us doing that, we can really precipitate huge change. Because you have to remember the majority of people in the world are dealing with small or relatively simple struggles versus these big global issues. But that doesn't make them any less a problem. And sometimes they collectively can add up to a lot of harm. And you're adding beauty to the world, giving people reasons to see the value and the connection they have to so many of the things around them that maybe they don't always appreciate. This is something that we as artists can do. We help alleviate some of their frustration and suffering and negative view of the world by showing them where the beauty is. I mean, just stop and try to imagine a world without art, without some kind of acknowledgement and cherishing of the beauty and the wonder of life around us. If we all tended to just food and shelter and safety, what would be the point? I, I think we tend to the necessities, really, so that we can be here to witness and appreciate and find joy in all the amazing and beautiful aspects of our world and our experiences. The early 19th century poet John Keats 
has this wonderful poem whose last lines were repeated on a podcast I was listening to recently, and it literally made me cry, which I don't usually do. But I don't know. I, I'm i not sure why I got so emotional. Maybe I myself am in a bit of an existential no man's land, at least here and there lately it's been a thing. But here are the last few lines of that poem, including the preceding lines, which aren't usually quoted. But I think if we think about this as artists, we can really see why what he says at the end is so important. The poem is Ode on a Grecian Urn, and it ends with these lines. When old age shall this generation waste, thou shalt remain in the midst of other woe than ours, a friend to man to whom thou sayest, beauty is truth, truth beauty. That is all ye know on earth and all ye need to know. Isn't that wonderful? It's just I just, it's so simple, but some of the simplest things are so full of evident truth that you just want to smack yourself over the head and be like, yeah, yeah, all we really need to know is that beauty is truth and truth is beauty. And when things are looking pretty dire for us, for the people around us, especially when we can remind other people is what he's saying, that beauty is truth that we can look at the problems that we're having and they may diminish in severity in our view because we can stop and look at the beauty of the world. And that's what I'm saying we do as artists. That is such a huge gift that we have to give. I know that this idea that the world is beautiful and there's beauty everywhere can get, uh, I don't know, sound maybe like a little sappy or idealistic. It could sound ignorant of all the pain and suffering and trouble in the world. And Maybe sometimes that outlook is a way of putting blinders on by just saying, oh, everything's so beautiful. But when we minimize beauty's importance and focus on the importance of the troubles in the world, I think we diminish the whole point of our existence. And yeah, that sounds sappy again. (laughs) And it sounds heavy and maybe overly philosophical. But as you head into the new year, and try to figure out what it is that you're going to do with your work and what it is you want out of it and what your goals are and whether you're happy in what you're doing right now or should you make changes. Having that understanding and awareness and focus on what it is you are adding to the beauty of this world and the betterment of our lives, and I mean yours and your families and your friends and your neighbors and the greater world, I think that can really help us make decisions that will result in truly fulfilling and purposeful work. And it doesn't matter if you decide that the only beauty you want to add to is to your time in the studio. If you do, then that makes you a happier person, I would think. And a happier person affects the people around them with their positiveness. And then there's this ripple effect that can and will affect the world far beyond your studio. Like Keats says, in essence, beauty is everything. I guess I worry that we just don't seem to give it the kind of value in our lives that it really should have. If we saw and knew and understood the value of beauty and are open to the beauty in all the things around us, whether it's obvious beauty in nature or in other people or the not so obvious beauty in the cycle of life, even death and decay, how much more wonderful and memorable would our time be in whatever we're doing? And just in case it wasn't clear enough before, appreciating beauty is not diminishing the fact that pain and problems exist around us. 
Of course they do. And if I could stop all the pain in the world or even just a minute part of it, I would. And I do. I try to make people's lives better and easier. And and if there's any way that I can have an effect on other people's pain and struggle, I would. But pain and struggle is actually a part of life. And it's actually what makes beauty possible. Now, I've talked about this before, I think in episode 26, the one on contrast. It really is only possible to see certain things because you have other opposite and negative things that you experience. So it is really only possible to see and appreciate a lot of the good things in our life is because not everything is good. For instance, the only reason we appreciate vacations is because of how much time we spend working. If the rest of your life could be lying on a beach drinking daiquiris, you'd think that'd be amazing. Well, if you're the kind of person who likes to sit on beaches and drink daiquiris. But in reality, you would get sick of it kind of quickly. Times like that are only fun because there are times that are not so fun. It's a matter of relativity. And beauty is a measure of the relative attractiveness of something. And it only exists because there are things that are not attractive. I'm not saying pain is necessary to understand and appreciate beauty, but dissatisfaction, boredom, struggle, disorder, these are actually things that we should appreciate on some level because they make our good experiences the amazing things that they can be. When you find satisfaction, when you are no longer bored, when you get to the end of that struggle and have won or are able to leave the hard stuff behind, that's when the appreciation and the happiness come in. That's when the really, really good feelings that we have, they're only possible because of those hard times. And that's one of the reasons I push you to embrace failure in your artwork, because not only does it mean you have learning opportunities, because failure is absolutely the best teacher you can have, but it also means that when you succeed, you get to have this amazing, exalted experience of achievement. And that, to me, is kind of the ultimate beauty of making art, seeing in existence something you had only previously wished existed that you had in your mind. It is a truly beautiful thing. Honestly, you deprive yourself of that when you don't take risks or you don't do anything at all because you fear the failure. So yeah, I just think as we head into this new year and we think about what we're going to be doing differently, what our goals are going to be, what we want to accomplish, that having a clear focus on why we do what we do on a personal level, of course, but also in how we can help other people's lives by contributing to the beauty of the world. I think that will help us make the kind of decisions that will make us happier and more fulfilled as artists. And yeah, I know I'm getting a little sappy and idealistic again, but I really believe this. It's just that I personally have always found that if I focus on the contributory aspects of what I do, whether it's contributing to the betterment of other people's lives or the betterment of my life or my family's lives, or just the idea that I can make any one other person in the world happy or smile, if the decisions I make are couched in those kind of brackets, that I tend to make better decisions, more rewarding decisions about what I'm doing and why. This may or may not be true for you in that particular aspect, but I thought that maybe I could give you the opportunity to consider this and just have an understanding of what beauty is and what it means to us. Then maybe that can help some of you define or redefine your work and your process in the coming year. And that's basically it. I think beauty is a promise, and I think we can give ourselves and the people around us a promise of betterment and enrichment and just joy in the coming year, because knowing that that beauty is there and that we can find it if we go looking for it, it's going to make the hard stuff easier to get through, 
and should leave you focused more on the beautiful and wonderful experiences and memories that you'll make than the bad ones that are inevitable. For those of you who find this whole scientific and philosophical aspect of beauty intriguing, I'm going to put a couple links in the show notes. There's one really great philosophical article about beauty and aesthetics. And then there's this podcast called Hidden Brain, Hidden Brain, H-I-D-D-E-N, that ran an episode titled The Mystery of Beauty on December 4th of this year, 2023, that really did a deep dive into the scientific aspects of our relationship with beauty. And that's just a fantastic and really well-produced podcast anyway. So if you're interested in the brain things <laughs> and the way our brains work and the crazy things that they do, that's a fantastic podcast to check into. So go check those out if that's of interest to you. And in the meantime, if I have brought up any particular thoughts for you, if you agree or disagree or have had any experiences related to this whole idea be about beat. (laughs) I'm getting tired now. (laughs) If you have any ideas about beauty and experiences that you've had with seeing beauty in unusual ways, I'd love to hear it. You know how much I love story. Please send them. I'm going to be just going full bore back into the podcast production come January. The first week of January, instead of doing design, I'm actually going to do an interview again with Christy Friesen, who was the first person I interviewed last year. And for some reason, I just felt like it'd be a really cool thing to just start out the year with a conversation between Christy and I, since Christy is one of my inspirations for actually doing this podcast. We have had just some really interesting conversations lately, and I would like you to be able to listen in on some of that. So we're going to start that out uh, end of the first week of January, and then we'll get back into designs and more interviews, and Brett will come back on, and we'll get back into the usual programming that you got used to this past year. But in any case, in the meantime, write me if you have any thoughts, uh, questions, comments, criticisms, whatever. I love it all. You can find contact information on the sagearts.com website on the contact page. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and giving back, there are donation buttons for PayPal and Buy Me a Coffee halfway down the homepage of the sagearts.com. And you can also find all these links in the description section or show notes section of the podcast page that you're listening to this podcast through. And then if you haven't done it yet, go ahead and hit that follow button on that podcast player as well. That'll give you notices for when the new episodes come, comes out. It also, I am so not being able to talk here at the end. <laughs> so my apologies, because I'm not going to be able to do a lot of editing. But Uh, Also, hitting that follow button does mean that we can move up on the search list uh, results for people and more people can join us in on this conversation. So, And if you like this and you want to share it with other people, let them know we're having these crazy artistic conversations over here. And let's just really build this community of ours because that's all we got going here. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm doing this because I love these subject matters and I love to help people and I love to keep you inspired and keep you creating. The only thing I want for Christmas this year is to spread the word and have people join us for the podcast. And I think that's everything. And I think we actually beat the rain because it's going to start storming here any moment, I think. In any case, I wish you all a wonderful holiday season as we go into the end of the year. I wish you all the best this coming year, 2024. It's going to be a great year, right? And yeah, just get out there, go have some new experiences, feed that muse. Be true to that fabulous, beautiful weirdness that you have. And join me next time on the Sage Arts Podcast.